they chased their answers, travelers through time and space, stopping anywhere long enough to learn, but briefly enough to escape involvement. The light in the distance grows brighter, even as the surroundings grow ever more bizarre. Questions grow darker, answers more involved, until reality itself becomes an academic concept, fit only to be dissected over a pleasant cup of tea. Welcome, welcome, brothers and sisters, and everybody in between, everybody else, everybody queer, everybody straight, everybody bent, everybody, everybody, welcome to Pagan Chaos Magic, the podcast, episode 15. Gonna try something a little different tonight, um, more music and, uh, a lot more reading tonight. I'm gonna give you a kind of a primer to... The Chaos Magic 101 and 102 and 103 I'm working on. Got a really nice email back from Peter J. Carroll that he's like, yeah, go ahead, you can read my stuff on your podcast, no problem, go right ahead. Uh, Just, you know, don't print it out in long form and the publisher probably won't have any problems. He certainly didn't have any problems with it, so I'm going to take tonight and do something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, A lot of podcasts have been putting these really nice end-of-the-year, best of 2009 uh, musical podcasts together, which are great, and um, I don't want to do that exactly. I think it's a great idea, but I'd like to do a slightly different spin. All that digging around I did on Jamendo, and I still do, uh, finding good stuff in Creative Commons licensed music, uh, I've run across a lot of good stuff that didn't quite fit the format of Pagan Chaos Magic, or didn't happen to hit the exact mood I was trying to convey that night. Maybe... They were too short. Maybe they had absolutely nothing to do with any kind of a pagan or a cult theme or whatever. For whatever reason, they didn't make it in. Sometimes they were just really good tunes off albums I played, but I didn't have the time for them. So I'm going to play effectively that tonight, almost what you could call the B-sides. And in between the music, we're going to have some readings out of the book Cyber Magic, Advanced Ideas and Chaos Magic by Peter J. Carroll. We're going to talk a little bit about that book coming on the other side of some music. Now this piece I want to play is from Tenpenny Joke, which I've played before, and it is quite awesome. She by Tenpenny Joke, off of the album Ambush on All Sides. Take a listen.
Alright, that'll set a tone. Alright, I'm going to read some excerpts from Cyber Magic, Advanced Ideas and Chaos Magic by Peter J. Carroll, and um, that's from the original Falcon Press. Uh, if my voice is off more than usual tonight, you have to excuse me. I, I wasn't kidding when I said I was on the end of my rope when I left that contract assignment. I wasn't just mentally on my uh, last nerve, so to speak. Physically, I was out of it. I have actually had three separate strains of the flu virus hit me since I returned home from South Carolina. And uh, now I'm suffering with, uh, for the last week and a half, an ear infection, which doesn't really hurt much, but I can't hear out of my right ear. And I'm a little congested. I finally gave up today and went to the doctor, uh, got a prescription for some antibiotics, because ear infection is a bacterial infection. I can actually benefit from antibiotics as opposed to, say, having the flu. And uh, I have actually put off filling the prescription until tomorrow, though, because I'm feeling feeling the mood to do this podcast, and I know if I take those antibiotics, they're going to completely whelm me for about three days. And, uh, well, I need my hearing back, but in the meantime, I want to get this out while the, while the mood is right, so please do excuse the voice. I am attempting to soldier through one of the longest periods of illness I've ever had. Getting older, it's not all fun and games, folks. But <laughs> I'm going to read to you the epilogue, first off, from uh, Cyber Magic. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry, not the epilogue. It's the about the author. And while I don't know Mr. Carroll personally, I've never met him, I've never spoken with him except a few emails... This seems to be a really nice uh, fleshing out of his personality and the way he wrote this about the author. He put up in in parentheses on top, the publisher requested this. The author values ideas above personality and thus, for example, prefers to read science fiction rather than soap opera. The author experimented with mediocrity until the age of 25 and then decided that excellence offered better opportunities. The author still takes this view at 43, despite frequent exhaustion. And then there's a uh, footnote which says, Now at 55, we adhere with fresh fury to this resolution. Uh, This is a really nice uh, updated copy. He went through and annotated throughout the text uh, extra notes onto uh, his existing text, which is kind of nice. You see his perspective when he's at 43 and when he's at 55, and it hasn't changed that much with a few slight bits of mellowing. The author chooses to maintain an antique and idiosyncratic code of chivalry, honor, and heroism in an age largely devoid of such things, just for the antinomian fun of it. The author values uniqueness in an area of mass production and consumption, and values self-made, or at least handmade, artifacts above all others. The author captained the magical pact of the Illuminates of Thanateros for a decade and derived immense satisfaction from the progress made in the theory and practice of magic during this period, but grew to despise the slavish imitation and treachery with which many mortals seek to advance themselves. And that's the end of about the author. But every single chapter in here includes a commentary after the statement, and the commentary on the about the author says, Only mediocrities fail to organize their time and material. Which is a quote. 
wise words vouchsafed to us at age fifteen by a great sage, but ignored for a decade. He certainly had the measure of us, and provoked us mightily with the assertion and challenge that you will never write, Carol. Our much-revered English teacher, old Bill Lawrence, now almost certainly deceased. Thank you, sir. And then there's some Latin, which I'm sure I'll butcher. Magis longa vita brevis, choyofac, no idea. The author does not wish to burden others with the task of emulating the multiple eccentricic... T <laughs> I'm laughing too hard to pronounce this because I feel some pointed criticism in this. The author does not wish to burden others with the task of emulating the multiple eccentricities of his lifestyle, sexuality, dress, hairstyle, lip topiary, or manicure. We leave that to the Alistair Crowleys of the world. Thus, without photographs or style tips, we arrive at the end. <laughs> well, I may not go on about my hairstyle and lip topiary, but I guess I am uh, a little more Alistair than Peter Carroll when it comes to talking about my sexuality, if you've been listening to the last couple of episodes. Well, there you go. One of the best introductions to Peter Carroll is uh, in his About the Author on Cyber Magic. Advanced Ideas in Chaos Magic, and I'm going to read some more right after some music. This is All Mankind, with their tune available on Jamendo.com called Can You Hear Me? Back on the other side. Tell me, can you hear the crack from a hard life breaking? Can you see the flood from the waves of my regrets? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I've no more cards to play In a corner I surrender to your way To your way
pieces of just great stuff I didn't want to let go by. Stuff I've encountered along the way. Cyber Magic Chapter 2 Why Magic Starts off with the subtitle Irrationale We find ourselves incarnate in an awesomely vast postmodernist universe of accidental origin among semi-intelligent apes grasping for emotional gratifications, power, personal identity, and answers to silly questions, whilst trading these commodities between themselves. Yet the recommended gratifications and socially approved identities seem such dull travesties of what two whole kilograms of brain might achieve. Worse still, the apes' gods and gods, for all their cosmic pretensions, appear as laughably parochial anthropomorphisms, abstracted from faulty language structures, compounded by the pack-animal urge to obeisance. Contemptuous of all the rubbish on sale, some attempt to create their own powers, gratifications, identities, and explanations, and call themselves magicians. Hubris, then, accounts for the best of it. But why not? As belief in one's own capabilities self-evidently leads to increasing capabilities, magicians consider it worthwhile to believe in their ability to accomplish the impossible, even if they only succeed at this occasionally. Indeed, there's, here's where the annotations start. Indeed, and although it hurts lots, we even learned enough mathematics during the sabbatical to challenge the Big Bang Theory. And the commentary to chapter 2, Why Magic, is, as nothing has any meaning other than that which we choose to give it, we must either invest belief and meaning in something, or abandon the game and go straight to oblivion. In selecting beliefs, we might as well go for maximum entertainment value and capability enhancement, regardless of the so-called facts. For, if a human really wants something, Statistics count for nothing. Personally, we attribute much of our success to a generous contempt for the apparent facts which a science education inadvertently taught us. Spot the treble entendre. We doubt that any facts actually exist. 
we only have observations and interpretations. Most of the interpretations remain questionable. Belief in any god enhances self-belief, but at the price of all the theological nonsense that accompanies it. Why not then adopt a belief in oneself directly as a magician? If it occasionally fails, then fall back upon the second equation of magic from Liber Chaos, which is PM equals P plus 1 minus P times M to the power of 1 over P, which I'm not even going to go into right now because that in and of itself is a whole bloody segment. And they ends with belief bends probability. Sometimes. Okay. Well, let's make another left-hand turn in the musical department. This is on the album by the artist Cartel. And the album's name is Prepare for Glory. Now, there's some stuff on here by Cartel and a lot of stuff by other artists. Cartel's brought a lot of people together on this one. And uh, there's this one that really stands out to me. It's a lot more R&B than I usually play around here. But uh, I really like this tune. It's called Ghetto Child by... K-Sparks, featuring Tina Qualo, I believe that is. That's uh, Q-U-A-L-L-O. Ghetto Child. Nonetheless, damn my nigga feeling stressed Probably this poverty is sloppily, we getting less Money's going quicker lately, honey's boning dick is great I fuck her till she feeling naked, now them chickens said they hate Time to chill, grind and tail, made a million in the stash I'm for real and what's the deal, front until we get the cash Nine to five, grind and strive, damn a nigga steady gross And I'm alive and shall survive, talking shit to city folk I'm working hard for little pay, damn I'm kicking faxes Never enough to pay the bills and chill up after taxes I ask if you was in my tents for a day So what you man to face your problems or just throw them away It's just another day as we sit around See the pressure got me stressing as I'm pressing the rise and really But baby it's okay we gon' make it anyway So I'm addressing and confessing I'll be pressing the rise and feel me It's just another day as we sit around she got me stressing as I'm pressing the rise and really But baby, it's okay, we gon' make it in So I'm addressing and confessing, I'll be pressing the rise and I feel you, I feel you 
Suppressing and suppressing the rise It really cyber magic. A quick note, why am I reading this? Uh, besides the fact that Peter J. Carroll is one of the top two influences on me personally as a chaos magician, and as a magician as a whole, this is an interesting book. Cyber magic was written by Peter J. Carroll when he was putting down the wand, taking an extended sabbatical, taking a break. And then he came back and annotated to most of the chapters and commentaries in the book. He originally wrote it at 43, and then at 55 he came back and uh, did his annotations. And it's an interesting glimpse into the mind of a wise and accomplished mage. Someone who has put in his time. Someone who has paid all of his dues and has learned and spent the time to sit down and write it out. And it's a unique view. I'm going to read you a couple of slices here, and I want you, brothers and sisters, to remember that I don't necessarily agree with Mr. Carroll on everything. He has a delightfully witty, sharp, dry tongue when he exercises it, and there's times that he just lays people bare and bleeding with the edge of it, I think even more than he might realize. That's great. Opinionated mages with intelligence and the ability to back up their arguments. Oh, they're fun. Even if they're brutal. So that's a little bit of why I'm, I'm reading this. This is a bit of wisdom that I want you to see before we get into the hardcore Chaos Magic 101. Because I think I'm really going to have to strip it down to uh, the basics of everything. Uh, not like, uh, hey, here, this is how you draw a circle. Hey, uh, okay. 
This is uh, what your magical points on the no, 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 no. Just the basics of hey, what's invocation, what's evocation, uh, why, uh, what's it mean, how do I do it, um, what are the different traditions and how did they do it, uh, what's it all break down to. Evocation, uh, servitors, stuff like that. But before we go there, this is a look into the mind of someone who has already been there. And I can't think of a better primer, honestly. This is an interesting piece. Um, chapter 13, Magic 10. Retroactive Enchantment. Despite the ease with which this effect manifests in delayed choice quantum optics experiments, some magicians still seem to have difficulty in summoning the belief to make this work on the macroscopic scale. Try this experiment. Wait until you have lost something. Rather than conduct further fruitless searches, try and trick your subconscious into believing that you actually put the object in a particular place where you actually want to find it. If you have to, you can even use a location that you have already searched. But in this case, you'll also need to make your subconscious recollection of having searched that place as hazy as possible. Then, whilst occupying your conscious mind with some powerful distraction, anger works well, go to the chosen location and retrieve the lost object. The commentary on 13. The subtle mental maneuvers required for retroactive enchantment depend on suspending conscious deliberation and memory, and will fail if you try thinking consciously about your thoughts. Compare this kind of will-perception coordination with the hand-to-eye coordination of catching a ball. Both work best when performed automatically. If you ever succeed with a trick like this, and you wish to retain and develop the ability without going mad, then we suggest you do not seek alternative explanations. Accept instead the belief that the past has some mutability or better still, that no real time past exists, but that the imaginary time past contains probabilities, restricted only by the observed conditions of the present moment. Uh, side note, he's really quoting his quantum physics here. Observation collapses the wave function. Uh, we've talked about that before, and that's basically what he's referring to. And then his uh, annotations is if you think this sounds completely crazy and deranged, then have a look at the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment, which reproduces the results quite reliably. And that will be a segment in and of itself coming up. It's a really interesting experiment. Another piece. Heresy 1, Chapter 20. Subtitle Spirituality. Magic will not free itself from occultism until we have strangled the last astrologer with the guts of the last spiritual master. And oh, brothers and sisters, side note, this is Kaya Dragon talking to you. I have many good astrologer friends. Um, <laughs> this is not my view. We, we already discussed my view on astrology and that there's something there we don't quite understand, even though I wouldn't rely it to be my only oracle by any means. I think it's a wonderful reference point, but uh, this is Mr. Carroll's view. After decades of mounting anger at prevailing fashions and stupidity, 
we present something to offend everyone in the following heresy chapters. Never discard the negative roots of any equation. Always look at the dark side of enlightenment. The commentary on that is, only contra-initiative, absurdity, commands belief. Never try to design a spirituality based on credible ideas. Start with something really idiotic. Denials of death and sex or magic often prove useful, for example. You can make yourself into a spiritual master very easily using the Goebbels technique. And he's referring to the uh, Third Reich Minister of Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels. Find a handy lie and just keep repeating it loud and long enough until people believe you. Language alone makes religion possible. The nonsense equation 2 plus 2 equals 5 has the effect of a virus which will undo the entire edifice of mathematics if left uncorrected. The false linguistic equations underlying paradigms of spirituality have a similar effect on thought. Exercise Identify the erroneous linguistic equations which create the following ideas. The Supreme Being Higher Things Spiritual Values And then his annotations from later years? All plans for utopia lead straight to hell. Rather, we should plan for agreeable, ongoing processes. Okay, brothers and sisters, if I haven't had too many of you who uh, follow astrology tune out on me, but let's throw some music out there to soothe a few nerves. Uh, <laughs> let's go right into something by, I think this is Musetta. Musetta? Uh, M-U-S-E-T-T-A. It's a single track that they released on Gemendo. Everything tonight you can get on Gemendo.com. And that's called Ophelia's Song. I fall in love, I get dizzy. I fall out, that's just a duty, a memory to draw me in. Still can't regret my bed Become real has been
folks. Well, obviously, Mr. Carroll has no love for astrology, which uh, is interesting, because uh, all I'll mention is that the end of a commentary 28, which was another rant against astrology, he mentioned uh, in his later years, apparently all Capricorns with Uranus in direct opposition to their sun act like opinionated contrarians and say things like this. Thus, we apologize for this inevitable and entirely predictable outburst. Oh, uh, no, this 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 one is beautiful, and I can't agree with everything he mentions here. Uh, but I, I I do love the spirit of his heresy number ten, chapter twenty nine. It's his rant on New Ageism. And you'll notice something interesting about these rants. Uh, I, I can explain exactly if if you notice they sound a little different uh, to the ear than you might uh, be used to, and that's because. Uh, he wrote the entire book uh, using the concept in chaos literature, the idea that has been floated, I think, the last 10 or 15, 20 years, to exclude the uses of are, is, was, or be from their writing, because those were faulty language structures which led to transcendentalist thought, which led to things like Buddhism. That, obviously, they didn't care for Buddhism. I'm not knocking Buddhism, but he, Mr. Carroll has his own opinions on transcendentalist thought. He, If you notice, though, all of the quotes tonight, you'll never once hear an are, an is, a was, or a be. And it is... There you go. I just used the word is. It's a power, it's, it, it is difficult to write without using those states of being. Though when you do... Um, it is a head trip. It is a, I would call it a, in a, uh, a serious notch on your belt. I remember reading about this technique of writing long time ago and thinking, wow, that would be really hard, just thinking about doing you know, something in, uh, nothing in the lines of an entire book, but I was thinking of doing something in the neighborhood of uh, rewriting one of my short dissertations and realized that Man, I was going to have to completely restructure all of this if I wanted to do I gave up. Mr. Carroll actually went out and wrote the whole bloody book. 
excluding that. Um, anyways, great stuff. Um, getting back to this Heresy 10, New Ageism. I could love it if dolphins had as much intelligence as cats and stopped trying to rescue sinking pieces of wood. If crystals actually did something useful, other than grease the wheels of commerce. If the goddess had made animals taste less good, so I didn't want to eat them. If astrology could tell me anything, other than the trite and the obvious. If whales could do something more impressive, than merely occupy a lot of space. If corn circles came from enlightened aliens, rather than Wiltshire pranksters on cider. If channelers could speak in hieroglyphics instead of pop-psychological twaddle. If sharing, caring, non-sexist men could do anything useful in a crisis. And his commentary on 29. The hippies of 1968 broke the dress code and the sex code, stopped a major war, and created a healthy disrespect for all forms of authority. Mysticism and music functioned as enemies of the state in those days. The starry-eyed idealists of today have submerged their critical facilities beneath a tidal wave of slop marketed by those old hippies who now sell a user-friendly dilution of their original enlightenment. And then his later commentary... Well, we seem to have some hardcore chaos left, despite the sad loss of Robert Anton Wilson. And we have some new ones as well. The war against consensus reality continues. Uh, this is probably my favorite chapter out of the whole book, which is chapter 26. Heresy 7. And, uh, full disclosure, I do consider myself an off-white mage. Or at least I aspire to be an off-white mage. The phrase black magician unfairly applies to anyone who has taken your lover or money by occult means. However, self-professed black magicians seem universally unable to fight, fuck, or even buy their way out of wet paper bags, despite fantasizing constantly about becoming powerful psychopaths. The high point in a career of ultimate evil? Getting badly scratched whilst fading to strangle a cat. <laughs> Those sanctimonious transcendentalists who, who profess themselves white magicians never do anything unpleasant without the very best of spiritual reasons, but spend most of their careers casting ineffectual spells at imaginary evils to no effect. An averse pentagram scrawled on their doorsteps as a joke can keep one busy for several years. Off-white magicians require no spiritual or demonic justification for their acts, and can take your lover or money without leaving you feeling bad about it. Okay, let's play some music and I'm going to get something to drink because I can hear myself going dry here. Um, I do not like being congested. Blech. Anyways, what are we going to play? Oh uh, yeah, one more track here off the Ten Penny Joke album, Ambush on All Sides. This, uh, this is a great piece called Black Satellite.
generally uh just some of his his uh opinions on the overall occult scene i think can come through pretty strong there let's take a look at uh some of his bits of wisdom that he's got buried in here this is chapter 23 heresy 4 elitism our ancient celtic ancestors said never give a sword to a man who cannot dance we might well add Never give a wand to anyone who cannot handle ordinary reality. Magic will tend to amplify whatever tendencies a person has. It will increase general incompetence in life just as readily as it will augment competence. Although we have seen those who started off reasonably well organized and made a magnificent success of their lives with magic, we have observed plenty of unpromising cases taking a powered nosedive to disaster with occult assistance. And his uh, additional annotations read, 
the casualty list has grown considerably since we wrote the above. Magic doesn't suit everyone. Only those prepared to take full responsibility for themselves should apply. The rest should find themselves the cheapest and most benign source of outside guidance. And his commentary on 23? The best orders and the best books on magic make the neophyte work very hard to gain anything. For, in brutal fact, nothing of any value comes from involving people who do not pursue excellence for its own sake in magic. Magic does not offer an escape from ordinary reality. Rather, it offers a full-on confrontation with it, which one can easily lose. And his later commentary... When inexplicable or extraordinary things happen, many people look for cult explanations and hidden meanings. For the rest of the time, they think they know roughly how or even why ordinary things happen, or what remains impossible. The magician turns this process on its head and regards ordinary reality as extraordinary and perhaps ultimately inexplicable. Thus, everything takes on an intensity and a hypertrophied sense of meaning. The magician finds the most conveniently ordinary things deeply weird and considers nothing impossible. Nevertheless, the magician needs to dance carefully on the edge of the abyss. Alright, that's one of my more favorite pieces in there. One of my favorite quotes in the book... Chapter 4. Magic 1. Stokastiko's Law. Any sufficiently advanced form of magic will appear indistinguishable from science. Footnote. Arthur C. Clarke coined this statement in its obverse form. And the commentary on that is... Our language structures impose causality as a mode of perception. Causality does not rule this universe. Humans label events, which they associate together frequently, as causally connected, and events which they associate together only occasionally as coincidence. Personally, we prefer to consider science as the study and engineering of highly probable coincidences, such as the tendency of apples to fall downwards when dropped from trees. We prefer to consider magic as the study and engineering of less probable coincidences, such as the tendency of trees to drop apples when we ask them to. Everything works by magic. Science represents a small dominion of magic where coincidences have a relatively high probability of occurrence. Half of the skill in magic consists of identifying the probabilities worth enhancing. And uh, he goes on in his commentary to talk about another magical formula, which I'm not going to go into right now because it's just too heavy and difficult to illustrate by means of words. It really is much clearer when you're actually looking at it on the paper. Uh, the man went off, did his physics on his sabbatical. He learned what he needed to learn. And anybody who loves math, who loves physics, who loves quantum physics, who loves magic, owes it to themselves to read 
uh, Psychonaut and Libra Null and Cyber Magic, Advanced Ideas and Chaos Magic. Uh, go over his five laws of magic, his five equations, and uh, I think you'll be stunned in their simplicity and their clarity, even if you don't run with his ideas. I mean, I'm, it's really difficult to wrap my head. Well, okay, it was very difficult. It took me really some long thought and meditation to wrap my mind around the idea of three-dimensional time and the impossibility of ever reaching the same point in the space-time continuum twice. But I got there. Now I can't claim to understand some of the later equations or even all of the implications of some of the early equations, but I have fought my way through them and uh, I know where he's going. And I have enough uh, belief in his uh, knowledge and ego that he tries as best as he can to get it right. So I have no reason to believe the man's deceiving me. That makes a good reference for me. <laughs> we'll get back to that in just a moment. Let's play a little bit more music. Time warp. Yeah, I had a crash there. Uh, I couldn't make up my mind about the tune and needed a little sleep. So this is 24 hours later. 3.18 a.m. on, what, like the 8th? Yeah, Friday, the January the 8th. And uh, we're going to get back to it, but I did just promise some music, so now I'm going to play some music. This is Major Major, and the tune is Satellite, off of their self-titled album. Way above 
let's get back to some readings from Cyber Magic by Peter J. Carroll. Let's get down to some more practical advice. Uh, magic number three, chapter six. The uh, chapter just basically, it's got some really nice uh, graphics and says wand or cup. And it has the almost holy magical law. Enchant long and divine short. Commentary on that is wand or cup. If only one-fifth of your spells work, you have real power. If only one-fifth of your divinations work, you have a serious disability. Spells cast well in advance can take advantage of the copious chaos in the interim, but that same chaos will tend to reduce divinations to a shambles. And then his commentary later on that. Enchant long and divine short. Yes, indeed, engrave that in Enochian... <laughs> I know I'm going to butcher this. Aurorian Barbaric. Uh, somebody can give me a corrected pronunciation on that. I'd appreciate it. I've never actually met anybody who practices this and discussed it with me, so I don't know the proper pronunciation. So, yes, indeed, engrave that in Enochian, Aurorian Barbaric, and in the vernacular on your altar. This supremely important dictum ranks alongside such universal items of wisdom as don't trust people in suits and don't eat anything bigger than your head. Waste not your energies on considerations of fate and destiny. Go forth and make the universe do what you want. And then the following chapter, chapter 7, magic, number 4. Sacrifice. Don't sacrifice, invest. By sacrifice, the religious attempt to invest in spiritual agencies. Magicians know better. They invest directly in themselves, cutting out the middleman. Sacrifice only those things which get in the way of desire, not the thing itself. And the commentary on that is... Some neophytes imagine that you can conjure wealth by burning banknotes to the gods. Never insult money or blaspheme it by gambling, unless you want to banish it. If you want money, then sacrifice it only on opportunities which will make money. Treat money as a major god, for its capricious and awesome power rivals that of even love and war. Money acts as a vast, intelligent organism which lives by occupying part of the brain of nearly everyone on this planet. Mammon seems far more awake at this moment than many gods we could mention. And then his commentary later on, Have faith in the power of money. I love money, and money loves me. Repeat continuously preferably in an insigiled language, to make it stick in the subconscious during any wealth magic conjuration. Bad investment equals blasphemy. Never invest in any situation where you have no power to skew the odds in your favor by the exercise of effort, intelligence, or parapsychology. Alright, flip some more music! I told you there was going to be a lot, and it's going to be all over the map tonight, so let's pull something different out of the hat. 
This is Santa, one day of Brahma.
There's a nice piece, nice and mellow, one day of Brahma. That's a really great background piece. I wish there was more released, but that's a, a single track release. You can get it on Jamendo. Uh, J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. And while we're throwing internet addresses out there, you can drop by any time, uh, PaganChaosMagic.com. That's all one word, PaganChaosMagic.com. P-A-G-A-N-C-H-A-O-S-M-A-G-I-C.com. And uh, you can get all the old episodes. Uh, you can stream the, right from the site the different audio files for the different episodes. I've, I have some interesting videos that I put up there. There's also some forums, though actually most of the action has been going on over at Facebook. Uh, please do feel free to friend me on Facebook if you like the podcast. Um, K-I-A-D-R-A-G-O-N. Kaya Dragon. Uh, looks like Kia Dragon. <laughs> I'll answer to Kia too. It's cool. Uh, Kaya's a old story. It's just how I was introduced to the word by more than one source and I stayed with it. So I have strange and odd ideas about how things should be pronounced, but you can call me Kaya. You can call me Kia. You can call me KD. You can call me the crazy dude from Pagan Chaos Magic. I answer to all. <laughs> and if you want to get a hold of me, Facebook me or send me an email. Um, KayaDragon at gmail.com. K-I-A-D-R-A-G-O-N at gmail.com. And I will get back with you. Give me a little time. I try to, you know, do all of my emails at once when I'm in the right head sp- space. So if you send me an email... I will definitely get back with you, and we'll get serious consideration. If you just want to drop by and say hi and listen to me, you know, rant on about how amusing or frustrating my child is or what's going on with the world, drop by Facebook and friend me. Also, we have a new page that I set up. Uh, you can get a link um, for Pagan Chaos Magic um, at Facebook. It's a Facebook page. I'm kind of new to Facebook. I was absorbed by that collective just a couple of months ago, so I'm having fun setting up the new page. Uh, I tend to put details regarding the podcast on that page. Uh, I have a lot of friends on my list who don't necessarily listen to my podcast, so if you're looking for more of the background details, come to the page, uh, but I'll always make general announcements on Facebook when new episodes are up. Okay, well, I guess that kind of covers my self-promotion, but, you know, if you don't promote it, people don't get the opportunity to hear it and decide whether or not you're crazy or interesting. (laughs) Um, I'm going to read one more, uh, well, actually, two more short sections from Cyber Magic, and then I'm going to uh, put the book down. There's so much more. I would just love to sit here and read this for hours, but that's really not fair to Mr. Carroll or the publishers of the book. This is by, again, the original Falcon Press is the publisher. Uh, Peter J. Carroll is the author. And, uh, like I said, he's uh, kind of a personal, magical uh, hero of mine. Uh, It was first, uh, first first edition was in 1995. The uh, edition that I have is uh, third edition expanded and revised 2008, which is... Likely third edition is where he inserted his notes, because uh, mentions here. I think there's a 12 year difference between uh, he was 43 when he first wrote the book, and he mentions being 55 in the secondary commentary notes. So um, he 
doesn't seem to have changed much. If uh, he's softened down a few things, uh, I don't think he's quite so strident an opponent of astrology as he once was, but uh, still doesn't believe in it. However, he is, seems to be very firm in a lot of his other opinions. If you really want to hoot, you should read some of the stuff he's got in here about religion. Near the end of the book, he goes into uh, several concepts of uh, high magic. Uh, his heresy sections are a hoot. I may have to read one or two more of those in, the, in future podcasts, but uh, I highly recommend the book. So... The last uh, couple of bits I want to read to you uh, are some of my favorite ones. The whole book's truly impressive, but uh, let's call it uh, the, the most simplistic and straightforward definition of magical combat and defense that I've ever heard of. Uh, it's Chapter 5, Magic 2, uh, subtitled Magical Attack, and it simply states, along with some nice uh, graphics, Attack by Enchantment. Defend by evocation. Side note, that is a, one of the other great holy laws of my magical practice. Enchant long, divine short, and uh, attack by enchantment, defend by evocation. Fortunately, I haven't been in a lot of magical combat, so I don't have to worry about that too much, but I know it's always a focus of folks' curiosities, and fair enough. You know, there's always the chance that you happen to know somebody in an occult circle who's bad enough to want to waste their time throwing spells back and forth and getting in each other's way. So, let me read you the commentary on that. On attack by enchantment, defend by evocation. Remember and use the fact that imagined magical attack creates far more casualties than actual magical attack. However, do not risk trying to divine the nature of a real magical attack for this will increase your vulnerability to it. For defense, evoke or create a personal servitor, cybermorph, Idilion. I think it's Idilon? Idolon. Forget about such naive procedures as erecting astral mirrors or shields. These have little other than psychological value. Attack or counterattack vigorously with properly insigilized enchantments tailored to create highly specific effects. The bullet, rather than the grenade. Do unto others as they would do unto you, but do it first. Such secrets we can reveal, having retired from active service after many campaigns. Field Magis Stokastikos. And then his notes from later in his career. Actually, we seem to have taken up the baton several times since. The universe seems to fill up with fresh entropy, malice, and stupidity the moment you turn your back on it. Humans fight mainly to change the behavior of their rivals and adversaries. The best magical attack accomplishes this behavior change directly, and bypasses the intervening carnage entirely. And the last little bit is going to be from Chapter 3 labeled Ourselves, subtitled Multimind. Uh, as a side note, this is really going to be kind of very important to the upcoming 101, uh, the concept of the multimind. It's, uh, it's very common to chaos magic practices to embrace the concept of a multimind, that there is no individual. You and I are not one being. 
Uh, we tend to be a group of competing aspects of ourselves. We are our own little constellation of gods and goddesses who have their own agendas in life. And this is um, something that we're going to spend some time on, so I'm going to read this one chapter to you as a primer to the concept. Multimind. Some philosophers and psychologists bemoan the disintegration or fragmentation of the self in the contemporary world. We celebrate this development. The belief in a single self stems from religious monotheisms having only a single god. Let us throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you consider yourself an individual, in the sense of indivisible, you have not lived. If you merely consider yourself as a single being capable of playing various roles, then you have yet to play them in extremis. The selves must allow each self a shot at its goals in life, if you wish to achieve any sense of fulfillment and remain sane. And later comments on this? So many people seem to spend their lives trying to appear normal, predictable, and consistent to themselves and those that surround them. They just end up bored with themselves, bereft of any depth of inner resources, suffocated by the inhibitions that defend their own monolithic identities. If you can only live once at a time, then you might as well have several parallel identities on the go at that time. And his commentary on three. The author apologizes in advance for any irritation and confusion caused by the use of the standard chaotic grammar which avoids all concepts of being, and uses we instead of I in recognition of the legionary nature of the personal multi-mind. If you still do not accept the principle of multiple selves, then consider why humans spend so much time at the temples of Venus, Luna, Bacchus, and Mars trying to escape from their workaday solar one selves in pursuit of love, sex, intoxication, and violent entertainments. And his commentary on that from later years? We wouldn't change a word of that. Verily, we conjure the convenient illusion of singular self to simplify our dealings with others and ourselves. In reality, we have the name Legion, we have worlds and gods and demons partying within. Loosen the bonds of ego, and relax that tired old post-monotheist theory of mine to open the treasure house within. Alright, let's play some music. This is uh, by Pierre Gint, or Pierre Gint, Lobo Gris. It's really, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I, I think the gentleman, I'm not remembering... If he's from Spain or I believe it's a European country, I'd have to double check on Gemendo. Uh, they ha have a lot of information on all the different artists because a lot of the people that you're hearing aren't necessarily out of the Western world. These are people just putting together good stuff and putting it out for people to use under Creative Commons licensing. And while we're talking about Creative Commons licensing, just before I play the songs, remember folks, this is all free. I know I've mentioned this before, but Gemendo.com allows you to download and use it for your own personal non-profit reasons or Creative Commons licensed projects. And uh, if you want, however, to license any of this music for, say, 
television or movies or videos or anything, there's an engine right on Gemendo.com that allows you to go in and license it for a really reasonable price. Any of this stuff can be licensed to be used on your project. I, I was looking at some of the prices, and honestly, you know, most of the stuff is very inexpensive for new media like podcasters, and frankly, very inexpensive compared to what you're going to pay for at a sound uh, uh, musical library to get copyrighted works. So they're happy to sell you the right to use it in any commercial project. In the meantime, they're making it available for anybody for non-commercial reasons and for anybody who just wants to listen to it. So this is a Peergent. Uh, it's off of his Blue Moon 10 Dreamscape Time, and the track is Dying Comets. music tonight. <laughs> this is fun. I gotta do this at least once a year. Uh, the best stuff I find that year on Tremendo and won't necessarily have an occult or a pagan connection, but uh, stuff I just want to introduce the public to. And I do, I'm enjoying this uh, reading 
quite a bit. Uh, if you guys like this, please let me know. I'd be happy to do it again with other authors who uh, give me permission to read their stuff. And from what I'm seeing, it's not that difficult, uh, as long as you don't read everything. <laughs> and uh, you ask permission, most of the authors are pretty happy to have their work, uh, some of the highlights read on the air, so that people can find out what they've done. And uh, I plan to do a lot more of that in the future, but all of this has been ringing some bells in my head because uh, recently I had a uh, one of those inspired moments where you just sit down at the keyboard and you have this amorphous idea that's very shadowy and just kind of nibbles at the corner of your subconscious. You sit down at the keyboard and, you know, an hour and a half later you're staring at three pages that actually are the first draft of something. I can't figure out if this is going to be an essay or the first chapter of a book. But uh, the reason I was thinking about it was it deals with the concept of magical engineering. And I thought really I was the only guy who talked about that paradigm. And then reading Mr. Carroll's stuff out loud tonight only reminded me that, yes, I had heard about the concept, at least the, the word, the verbiage, magical engineering before, and it was from his work. So it's just a great example of how, you know, your internal psychic sensor can try to make you feel as if you're even more brilliant than you are. Yeah, you thought of that. Well, no, I didn't think of it. Somebody else thought of it first. I'm just expounding on it. But since I am expounding on it, and since this is the first draft of something, I just figured I'd give it a quick read-through, and you can, folks, if you want to give me a comment on what you think, that'd be great. I'll have the uh, the entire words in my show notes when I update them. I'm a little bit behind right now, but uh, some of the, what I'm going to read here, in, it makes uh, a lot more uh, sense when you're actually looking at some of the quotes. So bear with me as I read through them. Audio is not necessarily the best way to understand the first page here, but uh, like I said, let's give it a whirl and see what you think. To many people... The very idea of magical engineering seems nearly oxymoronic. After all, engineering requires the application of scientific principles, and science and magic, as everyone knows, are not compatible. I challenge that assumption. As an automation controls engineer by trade and mage by passion, I found a great deal of common ground between engineering and magic. I have set out here to demonstrate that not only are magic and engineering compatible, they are at their basis inseparable. Unknowingly, you apply engineering principles every time you work a spell. Don't believe me? Fair enough. Let's examine a few definitions of engineering, with a big E. The following is Merriam-Webster's online dictionary definition of engineering. The application of science and mathematics, by which the properties of matter and the sources of energy in nature are made useful to people. Nice and to the point. Now consider the following rewrite. The application of occult symbolism and metaphysics, by which the properties of matter and sources of energy in nature are made useful to people see the match? Well, that's just one example. Let's try a more complicated one. 
This is the American Engineers Council for Professional Development definition of engineering. The creative application of scientific principles to design or develop structures, machines, apparatus, or manufacturing processes or works utilizing them singly or in combination or to construct or operate the same with full cognizance of their design or to forecast their behavior under specific operating conditions all as respects an intended function economics of operation and safety to life and property well I think I can crack this one too but I'm going to add a few parentheses here and there to help you understand the relationship I'm drawing. Side note, this is where uh, actually seeing this on paper helps. The creative application of occult principles to design or develop structures, spells, machines, wands, amulets, etc., apparatus, homunculi, or entities, or manufacturing processes, spell work, or works utilizing them singly, solitary, or in combination, coven, or to construct or operate the same with full cognizance of their design, or to forecast their behavior, divination, under specific operating conditions, divination target question, all as respects an intended function, intended magical outcome, economics of operation, efficient spell work, and safety to life and property. So you see where I'm going with this? At its base, engineering is the practice of applying known principles of science in a manner that is generally predictable and repeatable but the manner in which an engineer approaches finding solutions to their problems is a process not really understood by those who have never worked in the profession. The engineer does not recalculate the physics of gas volume, pressure, and compression when she selects a pneumatic cylinder to move a load of X grams. She does not spend time contemplating the equations regarding the deep physics that define our understanding of how gases behave in a pressurized environment. That initial work has already been done by research scientists, and the engineer spends their time applying this existing research. When the engineer is trying to find the correct pneumatic cylinder for moving X grams, she reaches for a reference work from a preferred supplier that lists their product line of pneumatic cylinders. Within this reference are simplified charts and equations that have distilled all of the relevant physics equations that pertain to the specifications of their line of cylinders. These charts and equations make the work of selecting the correct cylinder more foolproof and they also save the engineer a huge amount of time and calculations. Some of the finest electrical engineers I know would be totally lost during their hardware design phase if they did not have their engineering computer spreadsheets available to them. These spreadsheets have many mathematical equations embedded within them that relate to voltage, current, resistance, phase, 
magnetic fields, and other relevant properties of electrical design. With these spreadsheets, the engineer does not have to spend hours with calculus and Laplace transforms to deduce the exact amount of electrical load each component in the system will require, and the most efficient type of transformer to supply the need. By checking their supplier's component specifications, and entering these into the spreadsheet's embedded equations, they can determine the correct transformer in minutes or seconds. Now, that sounds too simple. Reading the section above, you might get a mental picture of engineers as a bunch of monkey-see, monkey-do types with crib sheets. That is no more true with engineering than it is with magic. Just picking up a magical grimoire from your local bookstore and following its steps exactly will no more make you a great mage than picking up an engineering spreadsheet and following their calculations will make you a great engineer. You might be able to put together a working spell with a grimoire and solve a few simple problems, but the truly important work in magic can only be achieved through further education and practice. Someone with a minimum of electrical knowledge can use electrical engineering spreadsheets to construct a working circuit. But don't expect they will be able to design something like a television or a nuclear power station control console. To distill this into a simpler parallel, an engineer consults charts, tables, and equations supplied by device manufacturers or by their own technical education to design their apparatus. A mage consults charts and tables, such as astrology, Kabbalah, I Ching, tables of correspondence, numerology, oracles, etc., supplied by knowledgeable occult sources and their own magical education to design their apparatus, spellwork, magical tool, homunculi, divination, etc. Okay. Any more cross-referencing, and I'm going to bore myself to death. But I think you understand my argument, even if you might disagree with it. Why is this parallel between spellworking and engineering of any significance? I believe that by utilizing the best practices of the engineering model in magical workings, we can achieve a greater accuracy of intent, better resolution in our results, and better overall leverage of our magical talents. In other words, being a magical engineering nerd can make you a more kick-ass mage. Even those who follow the shamanic path can increase their effectiveness by analyzing and refining their magical path with engineering best practices. And that's why I ran out of steam. That's the first draft of something interesting. Uh, I hope. <laughs> I get... Uh, to correct a few typos and I'll put that up in the show notes when I'm getting ready to do that uh, but I'm looking at rough edits and wow I'm pushing an hour 40 good grief time to play some music and say good night uh, what am I going to play here uh, let's see I think you know this is going to be the one tune I've already played previously everything else tonight you haven't heard before but this is my favorite find on Jamendo uh, lately is uh, between this and and the Diablo Swing Orchestra. There's all kinds of great stuff out there, but I'm going to play one last Tenpenny Joke uh, track, Chaos Engine. Uh, 
love this track. <laughs> personal, personal soundtrack. It is is definitely in more than a few playlists that I have designed for inspiring certain moods. Uh, this is Ten Penny Joke off of their album Ambush on All Sides, and it's Chaos Engine. And that's going to be it. We're going to play that, and that'll be the end. And I'll see you hopefully, or you'll hear me hopefully next time on episode 16. Good night. The shadow.